Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. All right. We are here with another episode of the How We Solve podcast where we talk to thought leaders who have solved hard business problems to make it easier for you so you don't fall into the same pitfalls that everybody else is falling in. Today, we're talking about a topic that's really important, especially in these crazy days with COVID. It's about mental health in the workspace. And we have Gil Hassan on the podcast today. She's a writer, prolific book writer, uh, an author who's written about a whole range of topics uh, around emotional intelligence, mental health, and mindfulness. She worked as a trainer for the last 20 years, helping people to develop their confidence and realize their full potential in work and also in their personal life, which is something that I'm also, my personal mission is to help people to reach their personal A-game organizations and and, uh, and individuals. So I think we're pretty alike there. And Jill also wrote a book, Mental Health and Wellbeing in the Workplace, which is going to be the main topic. And I'm really excited to have her on. Thank you, David. Thank you for inviting me. So mental health and well-being in the workplace, I think it's about equipping, the book is for, for managers, I assume, and equipping them to have the right tools in place or early warning signals to make sure everybody on the team is okay, that they don't, they don't overwork them, kind of like keep the finger on the pulse, like how people are doing. Yeah. So the book I co-authored with Donna Butler, she's actually a a, a good friend of mine. We've been friends for years and she's a psychotherapist. So my level of sort of contribution towards the book, we did sort of half each, is more around well-being. So I'm more interested always in, in maintaining your well-being in a way that doesn't hopefully lead to any mental health problems. So, so, so it's about keeping yourself well, mentally well. And Donna's side of things as a psychotherapist, her expertise is obviously around helping people when they really have run into difficulties and they're really struggling. So yeah, so although I know a fair bit about mental health. I'm certainly not an expert. That was more Donna's area. But yeah, I'm very much into how people can help themselves. So the book was aimed at, we, I, you know, I think we were, we managed to get a lot into the book because we looked at well-being, we looked at mental health, and we looked at well-being and mental health from the employee's point of view, what you can do for yourself. And then also we looked at what managers and employers can do to support their staff. Very cool. Actually, if that's the case, we can turn around the topic a little bit because that's also, as I mentioned in the intro, one of my personal, I don't want to say, that's not hobby, but passion. I have a course called Managing Happiness that helps people to figure out their personal mission, vision, and values in their lives, the goals that they have, the roles that they have, and um, also the habits that they want to cultivate in their lives. Because I'm a big believer that your habits determine everything in your life. And if you're rich or poor, happy or unhappy, or be so in shape or stressed out and burned out or in a good state, it all boils down to which habits you cultivate in your life, right? And if, you, if you're doing all the right things, sticking to your healthy habits, having a healthy diet, working out on a regular basis and keeping in touch with friends, etc., you will be much, even if you have a very stressful and demanding job, 
you'll be much more solid and you will not get into a mental health crisis. It's kind of like the preventative. Yeah, I, I would say, and I think the key is that word habits, because a habit is something you do regularly. So anything positive that you do regularly, yeah, is going to support your well-being. Anything negative that you do regularly, so a habit that, that's uh, negative, is actually going to undermine your well-being. So yeah, the more habits, the more things you can do on a regular basis that are positive, then that you're on the right track, yeah. So what would you say are the, the top three or five habits that somebody should implement in their lives to make sure they're on their personal A-game and... Oh, golly, crikey. Okay, so, okay, let's, so let's take it from the perspective of happiness. So, you know, as far back as Aristotle, you know, over 2,000 years ago, he actually recognized what made for happiness in a way that more recent psychologists, you know, pretty much all agree, not so much that they say they agree with Aristotle, but they're findings and the research seems to show the same thing. For example, Martin Seligman, a positive psychology professor who recently died, actually, he came to the same conclusions. And that is that you need to have meaning and purpose in your life. Not only do you have to have meaning and purpose, you also have to have small pleasures. So you have to, on a grand scale, you have to have stuff going on for yourself. And on a smaller scale, you have to have things going on for yourself. So when that comes to habits for mental health and well-being, I would say that you need to, first of all, if you've got meaning and purpose, if you've got something that you're aiming for in life, so Gosh, that you could have family. They could be your meaning and purpose. You could have a particular job, a career. You could have a passion or an interest that's got nothing to do with your relationships or your work. So it's about discovering for yourself what's the sort of thing that really makes you tick and that helps to define your life. That's your meaning and purpose. When you've got that, then you can do things that help to drive that. So one of the things, for example, whatever our meaning and purpose in life is surely we need to be healthy for that, physically healthy. Those are the smaller things that we can do maybe on a daily basis, but on a much more regular basis. I guess to some degree, it's like the hierarchy of needs, right? Kind of like the purpose and vision is the kind of like further higher up, you know, and like exercising and being healthy is table stakes. Because if you have the biggest purpose in the world, but you're physically unwell, you will not be, you know, it's kind of like, these building blocks. Have you defined your personal mission and vision clearly? For myself, no, I've ne it's not something I've written down. It's something, I suppose, I've always been aware since, yeah, since I was young, very young actually, what's important to me, what sort of gives meaning and purpose. My relationships and my friendships and family definitely very much define my life. And finding out about the world, I've always been, always wanted to know, you know, I've always been curious. So satisfying my curiosity, family, friends, relationships, and actually helping and supporting other people to realize their potential. So I suppose, you know, you can have more than one meaning and purpose, but it all revolves around people, really. People are my meaning and purpose, whether it's my own family 
or it's my friends or it's people I've never met before that have come on my courses and, and classes. So that sort of defines for me my meaning and purpose. And so in order to pursue that meaning and purpose, I, I'm not constantly, but I am aware of, I think about what helps me to further that and work with that. Yeah, for me, it was my wife went through breast cancer. Knock on wood, she's doing great today. But this was like a big wake up moment for me where I envisioned myself laying on my deathbed, looking back at my life, thinking, did I do what I was supposed to do? Did I have the impact I want to have? And this was like a big wake up moment for me to realize like, hey, what I'm doing is cool, but it's not really in line with what I really want to do. And it's made me reevaluate a lot of things. And since I have this course called Managing Happiness, where I help people to figure out their personal mission, vision and core values, <laughs> as I mentioned before. And there's some exercises that, because I really like sat on this question for a long time, figuring out like, what is it that I really want to do? And it all came down to having impact in people's lives, very similar to what you've been saying. There's a cool exercise. It's from the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where you do the funeral exercise, where you envision your own funeral and you see the people that are important in your life go up, give a eulogy. And what would you want them to say? So you can kind of work backwards. Like, what is the things that actually are important to me? And I've led a lot of people to these cohorts, group coachings on, on figuring out mission, mission values for themselves. And it kind of boils down to the thing that really makes people happy, similar to you, is it's providing value to other people or helping other people. I think this is kind of how we're wired, that we always want to, you know, if you give, then give to others, then this is going to make you happy. They, they made, there was a TED talk about this. They made a test. They gave a bunch of people $20 and 50% had to buy something for themselves and 50% had to buy something for somebody else. And the ones that bought something for somebody else, and they asked them how happy they were. And the ones that bought something for somebody else were way happier than the ones that bought something for themselves. You know, so I think it's kind of hardwired into us because we're all one and we want to do good by, by everybody. Yeah, we're definitely, we're social beings. It's necessary for our safety and our well-being. You know, as human beings, we don't do well individually, not on a long-term basis. You know, lots of us are working individually. We need each other. So, yeah, we're hardwired to be together. And I think you mentioned values there. And that's when I do any coaching with people about helping them to think about, I do quite a bit of career coaching. So when I'm helping people to think about what they do and don't want to do, what's important to them, we do look at values. And, and a lot of people have never done that before. They've never actually sat down and thought, actually, what's important to me? What's my value? What are my values? And what I realize about that is that it's a little bit like going to a restaurant. If someone said, what do you want to eat? You would say, I don't know what's on the menu. So it's difficult when someone says to you, what are your values? What is important to you? It's sort of like, uh, I don't know. Uh, so what I do is a very simple exercise with a list of values, things like you know, empathy, family, hard work, reliability, punctuality. It's just one big long list. And that really helps people to, you know, I say, tick anything that's important. Okay, now boil it down to the five things that are most important to you in life. And people tend to have personal values and social values. So the personal values are the things that it wouldn't matter if they were the only person in the world. This is what's important to them for themselves. Social values is about how they relate to other people. And people generally ha have a mix of social and personal values. And that really is, I think, the starting point for what can give you meaning and purpose in life and, and, and give you goals and hope and vision. 
for people on the podcast, you will not be able to see what I'm sharing right now because it's a podcast, uh, but we can upload a screenshot of this to the show notes. This is like my, my North Star document. So this is my vision, my mission, my mantra, and my core values. For example, I have like the roles that I have in my life and the not to-do list, things that I don't want to do. It's really helpful with habits. If you can like define those and further down, I have like my plan for this year, this quarter, this month, this week. And basically whenever I make decisions for a goal that I'm setting you know, for the goal, for the year or for the quarter or whatever, I always run it through this filter here, which, you know, my mission, vision, values are my filter. Is it in line with my, my vision? Is it in line my mission? Is it in line with my core values? And this helps me to filter out and say no to things that are not in line. Because saying no is like a really hard thing to do. But if you have this filter in your life, it makes it much easier to become and stay the person that you want to be or that you aspire being, you know. You know, interesting here, David, is that you have got it written down. You, you asked me, you know, have I got anything written down? No, I haven't. But what, again, with the teaching, the courses that I've done, the coaching that I do, it's, I think it is important for a lot of people to get it out of their head and down onto paper or on a computer screen because otherwise all your ideas just swirl around. It's very, very difficult to be clear about what you want and what you don't want and what you hope for. So that's what I've always found with the courses that I've run and the coaching that I've done. We get everything written down so that people can, they can empty their head. They can see things in black and white. They can actually, when they do see it in black and white and written down, they can, you know, edit it and think, no, actually, why did I think that was important to me? Or no, I've realized now this is more important to me. I don't write these things down, but we're all different. But I, I think that if you haven't tried, if a person hasn't tried that before, actually emptying their mind and putting it down in paper, what they want, what they don't want, what their goals, what their aspirations are, what they like, what they don't like, I'd really advise doing that. It's, you know, and, and that's another reason why things like journaling are becoming so popular. This idea of actually getting it down and seeing it. I'm an organizational development nerd. I have like a portfolio of businesses and they're all running very well, like well-oiled machines. And just like all these things in managing happiness are borrowed from organizational development tools, like stuff that you do in business to systematize and organize a business. Because, you know, people have spent an insane amount of money to optimize this, how these people in the business and business, you know, businesses are people how people work together properly and just like took these elements out and put this into the personal context, you know, so has been really well for me. So kind of tying this back to business and mental health and well-being in, in the work, workplace, what do you think are the early warning signs when you work with somebody to see that they may be struggling? I think if you know them reasonably well, then you'll recognize that they're not being themselves. There's something that you think that they're behaving differently from how you're used to them behaving. So they might not be coming into work on time or leaving earlier or leaving later. They might be snappy and with other people. You might notice that they're overeating or not eating. They're going out for more breaks than normal. So any sort of behavior that you think, no, oh, that's a bit odd, or if someone else flagged it up, that you just think is, hmm, that's not like them. And so what the key thing is actually to be aware 
of your colleagues and employees. And I don't mean watch them like a hawk. You know, you, you're not watching them on CCTV all day and see how they're behaving. But it is about raising your awareness. It is very easy. And I'm sure we've all experienced this where somebody says about someone else that they're not well or they're struggling or, or whatever. And you think, really? She's off or she's off, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then they explain why. And you go, oh, God. Either you think, God, I didn't even notice that. Or you think, oh, actually, yeah, they were behaving strangely. Or I did notice that they seemed to be stressed or but I didn't really take any notice. So awareness is really important, being aware of other people and then just how they look. I mean, people, you know, I had a friend come round to my house the other day who was very stressed about a family situation. I know her very well and her whole demeanor had changed. Her whole look, she, she looked incredibly stressed, even though she didn't say a huge amount about it. It was literally written all over her face. So then how do you bring it up? I'm from Germany and we're very direct. So if somebody has been overeating because he's stressed and, you know, a friend I haven't seen in a while, it's like, dude, you got fat. You know, what's going on? Like, talk to me. You know, but in North America, this people would kind of, you know, be offended to some degree. If, if this level of directness would would be uh, used. So especially as a manager, where you're like, you know, you may be close to them, but like not super close. Like, how do you? Hopefully it would start before that in that you would ha you would be working in an organization or a setup where there was already a culture of openness around well-being and mental health. So I think therefore it's really important that there's an ongoing awareness of this. So, that, you know, it can be really simple things like putting up posters about well-being and mental health in your workplace having information, ideas and advice about well-being and mental health and managing stress in staff newsletters, staff magazines, intranet pages, maybe inviting a speaker on mental health to an event as part of activities around diversity, disability, mental health. I think that as a supervisor or manager or team leader, you need to be st speaking regularly with staff about how they're doing how they're coping with their work workload, their relationships at work, and what may or may not be becoming stressful. And, and you can do that in appraisal and supervision procedure uh, meetings. You could establish a regular item in team meetings where people are invited to talk about how they're feeling, you know, about stress. You could ask what has been stressful recently at work, what might make things easier. You know, you could have a whole group discussion around that. So there's a lot of things as well as regular one-to-one -one meetings, because sometimes obviously people aren't going to be feel okay about opening up in front of yeah, double team. Yeah, absolutely. But I think encouraging and normalizing conversations about well-being and mental health are really important to help staff think about and manage better their own well-being and that of their colleagues. Yeah, for me, it's uh, culture is super important and also like the trust that people feel safe and that people feel it's okay to bring certain, certain things up. For example, like we have an, an error log where we talk about all the F-ups that happen and transparently on every meeting. So it's like, it's not a bad thing if something goes wrong. We just want to figure out like, how can we fix it? So if like this in every staff meeting or in every, every team meeting, we have like this agenda point. In every one-on-one, -on -one, I have an agenda point, which is a check-in where I ask always three questions, like what's going really well right now? What's draining you? This is like always usually the open the opener for like, hey, to open up to talk about stuff. And how do you rate yourself from zero to 10? 
And also, and just like on a, if I have weekly or biweekly one-on-ones with these people to kind of keep the finger on the pulse and to also normalize it, to talk about this stuff, you know, because then people open up like, Hey, like there's something going on in my family or whatever, because it's normal to talk about what's straining you and being transparent about this and also reciprocating. Like I'm also, I'm an open book. I share what's going on in my life. And I think another key thing is that people that you manage understand you have the best intentions with them and you have their well-being is, 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 is important for you. It's not that you're just like squeezing them f- to be most productive, but also you care about them to make sure that they're okay. And you put their needs in front of your needs even. as I think a good manager does this thing to kind of be backing up the team to make sure they can be on their A-game and just being there for them. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's two things. There's the group and there's the individuals. And with the group, yes, normalizing conversations about how people are feeling is very important because not least because over and over again, once people start to be a little bit open about how they're feeling about things, there's always someone else who says, oh, thank goodness you said something because I'm feeling like that too about a particular situation. So that really just opens things up. So that's really important to be able to share. And and not some, you know, we're not talking about some sort of therapeutic group here. We're we're just talking about airing stones because, yeah, and and if there is something big for someone, then obviously that's the manager or the team leader's responsibility to say, okay, so I can see actually for you, this is quite a big thing. This is something you and I need to take further later, but at least it's been aired and shared a bit. And then Yeah, then the manager, the team leader, they have to show care and concern. But there's an issue here about that. And that is, and this relates to a a question that you asked me earlier about, you know, how do you actually approach somebody? It's not easy. And I think this is something that managers, team leaders, they need to get training and education and support in order to support other people. It's, there's all sorts of training courses. And this is, something that you may have to look for yourself and then go to your own manager or supervisor and say, look, I've identified this training that I could go on that would help me better understand well-being and mental health of, of our employees and how I could approach them if we've got any concerns. Not as a manager, you shouldn't be expected to know it all. You're, you're not a psychotherapist, you're not a trained mental health professional, but you could get some training that will make it easier for you. To at least spot what's going on. You know, you don't have to be the one who's fixing it, but kind of being air traffic controller in case there's like, whatever, a case of domestic violence at home, like where do you send people in case there's a, you know, kind of like you have like your playbook, maybe even as the overall company, like if these issues come up, that you equip your managers that they know where to send somebody, not just like, okay, what do I do now? They told me this and like, now it's not my place. Like, what do I do? Yeah. For example, you said domestic abuse. It could be somebody that's suicidal. I would say that not only would you know about the organizations that could support someone like that, but I would suggest that as a manager, you contact that organization and say, I'm concerned about somebody. What do you suggest I do? Because in fact, I think that's really important because you could wade in there either doing or saying the wrong thing, or it could seem like you're just passing them off by giving the name domestic abuse organizations. So all these organizations to do with mental health, 
domestic abuse, suicide, all of these issues that you pretty much find that all of them have information for someone who's concerned about that other person. If you're a manager and you're concerned about someone else at work, find the relevant organization, contact them and say, I'm concerned about this person. What do you advise I do or say, as well as signposting them to your organization? Do you know a resource where there's a list of all relevant organizations? I think this like, would be a cool thing to put together and just like share with people, you know, for domestic abuse, depression, you know, slash suicidal, drug abuse. You know, obviously it depends which country you're in, but, you know, certainly in the back of, and it's something I can forward to you, in the back of our book on mental health and well-being in the workplace, we have got a list of organizations that can support like that. Do you have this um, public on the website? No, I don't. My website's very small. It's only, it's only I've only got a website for uh, career coaching. I, I don't actually have a website for anything else. I'm very low-key when it comes to promoting myself and the things that I do. I, I find that people tend to find me anyway, but certainly... Well, we found I, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll send you... Uh, yeah, please. It would be great to add to the website where we publish this podcast. It would be really absolutely. great to have this resource. Yeah. And there are some great organizations out there. What, you know, these days, whatever the problem, whatever the issue, there's an organization that can help you. It's, you know, even for example, things like issues like being stalked. If that, you know, here in the UK, we have the Susie Lamplew Trust, who are, they've got so much amazing good advice. They get funding to do research. So, and the final thing is, of course, just Google it, whatever the, issue that you're concerned about for yourself or for someone else, Google it. You'll find an organization that can provide good support. And the other thing is, of course, because of the internet, actually, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter what country you're in. It could be, you know, there could be a great organization. You're in the UK, for example, and there's an organization you've read or heard about in Australia. You can still access their website and their information. As somebody who, yeah, I do write a lot of books and I find information literally from all over the world, organizations all over the world. So, Very cool. What are some kind of mistakes that you should avoid as a manager to not, yeah, well, what are the, the no-no's? Probably wading in too fast, coming in, coming in too fast, getting too heavy with people. They feel pressure to unload and say if there's something wrong. I think sometimes all you can do is flag up that you maybe are, have a concern that you think maybe that your staff member or, or team member seems to be struggling in some way. But, you know, recognize that if they don't want to talk, because people don't always, you've just got to say, well, I'm here if you do need to. And that's really important. You know, don't come in too heavy, I think is what one of the key things. Of course, the opposite is don't ignore it. Don't, don't think, oh, Mikey, I don't think they, you know, they seem to be struggling, but I haven't got a clue what to say. And, or, you know, if somebody's recently been bereaved, it's so difficult to know what to say and what not to say. And people are always concerned that they're going to say the wrong thing. Just yeah. show up, show that you're there, show that you care. Very cool. Do you have any other resources you can recommend other than the resource that you're going to send us that we're going to include in the show notes? Yes, here's one that I think is brilliant and it's so simple. It's called a wellness action plan. 
So wellness action plans are something that here in the UK, you can download a template for a wellness action plan from uh, our main mental health charity called Mind, M-I-N-D. And so you just go to mind.co.uk and you put in wellness action plans. And then you can find a wellness action plan for employees and you can find a wellness action plan for managers. And what they are, they're very simple. It's a way for, let's say this this is for you, you know, you're doing it yourself as an employee. It's simple stuff like getting you to think about what sort of things make you stressed at work? What sort of things do you find overwhelming? What sort of things do you struggle with? So, so this is not just about work, but what might be going on in your personal life. So if my teenager is really playing up, I find it difficult to concentrate at work or my toddler's ill or, or when my mum, she's constantly having to go into hospital. So, so it might be, it could be personal stuff that impacts on your ability to be at work. So again, it's this idea of getting it out there, writing it down, then what are the sort of things that you find supportive? What do you need in order to support your well-being at work? If you have had a mental health problem, what you've learned from that about what sort of things you have to avoid or be careful of so that you don't go downhill again, what sort of support you need. And these the wellness action plans you can do on your own. You can do with your manager so that you can talk it through or you could do it on your own and then later discuss it with your manager. So, you know, these are the things that you need to be aware of as well, that if I start suddenly start behaving in some particular way or this is possibly what it is. And then again, this helps to promote a culture of openness as well, because if everybody in the organization does one, then once again, it creates this whole culture of promoting trust and transparency. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it doesn't have to be shared, but very often people will just by doing it, they go, do you know what? When I did that wellness action plan, I suddenly realized this about myself. It, you know, often it can just provoke and prompt openness. Open even communication. Though it, and I yeah. think it's also the reciprocities, if I pronounce this correctly. Like if I'm open, I share about the struggles that I have, other people will share and it kind of like creates the culture doing this. Side note, it's mind.org.uk for everybody who maybe wrote it down, not .co.uk, I just Google it. So if you, and so if you just Google, uh, we, we also include in the show notes, so you can find the show notes, howwesolve.com. And one thing that I have in terms of my, I have uh, a canary in the coal mine, like my early warning signal for my mental health or my stress level. I do inbox zero, which means I always, at the end of the day, I have no emails in my inbox. If it's a good day, I archive everything that I've done. I delegate stuff and only the stuff, only the emails where I still have an open to do, it's sitting in my inbox. And by the end of the day, ideal scenario, everything is archived, everything is delegated. There's zero emails in my inbox. And if I'm not getting to this inbox zero for over seven days, and I have a habit tracker where I track this, then I know I have too much on my plate. I have to revisit what I put on my plate, like my to-do list, and figure out what can I do to make sure I adjust this. You know, so it's like a kind of 
watching myself very closely. And this was like the, the best way for me to realize I'm overworked. And if I'm not addressing this, then all my good habits will fall away. I will not work out because I don't have time, you know, and like, it's kind of like, it's, yeah, it's declining then. And it's, this is like the, really the, yeah, the canary in the coal mine for me. Yeah. Again, and something like a wellness action plan can help us recognize what are the things that are the signs that maybe things aren't going so great and actually they could slip out of control or completely overwhelm me. It's important to be aware of, of those things as well. What for you are the things that you recognize are, are the triggers as well? You know, what, what sort of things trigger you off that could indicate that you're, you're on a downhill slope and that you need to do something about before things get worse? I have another thing, like if I'm off my good behavior and I kind of lost my, my good habits. Also, like when my inbox is piling up and stuff like this, I have a restart routine, which is like a self-care day or like half day, which kind of, you know, going, getting a massage or going to the spa or getting a haircut or buying something for myself, whatever kind of makes me feel good. And then once I've done this, I say, okay, now I'm on good behavior again. I'm not going to start doing the right stuff again, the right habits, because like doing a habit is not like something that's it's really challenging. It's just kind of making this first step, kind of like jumping to a pool with cold water, you know, like jumping the pool and you're going to swim. Like, it's got to be easy. You know how to do that. It's just like kind of like having this mental thing to overcome. And yeah, this reset routine has been like super beneficial for me to make sure it's easy for me to get back on my good habits. Because as we said in the beginning of this podcast, say all the time, your habits determine everything in your life. Actually, I read, read somewhere, you can't determine your future well, you can't pick your future, but you can pick your habits and your habits will determine your future. You know, I really like this because like... Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of, yeah, what we said at the beginning about, you know, a habit is something you do regularly. And if you do something regularly that's negative, it, things are just going to get worse. If you do things, have habits that are positive, then yeah, you're just supporting a, a happy, healthy lifestyle. And I think the, the what you said there about when you recognize mm, maybe things are getting a bit too much here about the idea about having doing small things that help you step back. That's really important to actually get a balance. So here's another thing that I think is so important is that we have to recognize, and, and this goes right back to what Aristotle said about having meaning and purpose, but also having small pleasures in life. So we need to be able to identify what are the small things that give us pleasure. Happy. Yeah, absolutely. The, just the, the little things. It could be time with a friend. It could be a, a walk. It could be eating something, you know, some sort of particular comfort food that you really like, watching something, reading something. Again, make a list, jot down, start making a list of the little things that actually you find comforting and supportive and pleasurable so that when you do need to step back, if you've had a bad day, for example, just say you've had a really tough day, then you can think, okay, so tonight I am going to do whatever it is or tomorrow or at the weekend, these are the things I'm going to do to help me step back and rebalance. Kind of going back to writing stuff down, it always helps for me if I can go back to a template or something that I have and I go, okay, you know, I have my restart routine. So I get a written down list also. Is I really got to take this, this thing over from you because I have a list of like what makes me happy, right? Then I can just go back to this what makes me happy list. Like, okay, okay, I like to go clubbing. I like to travel. I like to do this or whatever. And then, or I like to go to this restaurant. Like I'm in the city right now. That's a good idea. 
Yeah, no, a- absolutely. It, it's really, it, we've got to take responsibility for our own happiness and well-being. And someone else isn't going to be waiting there to remind you constantly, yeah, well, don't, you're not going to be phoning your mum up all the time. Going, so, so mum, remind me, what is it that I like doing? And, you know, you're not fired anymore. It's, uh, we've got to take responsibility for these things. And we can, it's very easy. Identify them, write them down. When certain things no longer give you pleasure, cross them off the list. When you come across new things, great. Add them to the list. This is why I call it, you say we, we have to take control. This is why I call it managing happiness because you have to manage your happiness or you want to manage your happiness. Like managing a business, if you are like managing your garden and you take good care of it, you know, you kind of pull out the weeds and you water the ones that you want to grow. Life's going to be good. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. It, it requires effort. That's thing about anything in life. We know that if we want to get a particular job, then we've got to put the effort into maybe getting the qualifications to get it. We, we all accept that, but the same is true about anything else that we want to have in our lives. We have to take responsibility for going out there and getting it and working out what's best and being flexible about it as well. Jill, this was really fun. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you want to pitch uh, or do you want to, and how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? If they want to uh, reach me, contact me in any way, they can uh, contact me on my email address, which is jillhassan at btinternet.com. So that's quite simply Jill with a G, G I L L H A S S O N, and then at B. T I N T E R N E T dot com. But if anyone buys any of my books, they'll find it. My, my email address is, is in the back of all my books anyway. And uh, perfect. And we'll also include in the show notes. And if people yeah. go to Amazon and search for your name, they'll find the books yeah. that you've, uh, you've absolutely. written. Absolutely. And I do have a website, jillhassan.co.uk. And that is. Uh, just for my career coaching that I offer, but my email address is on there as well. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the show. And for those of you listening, please do us a favor, go to the Apple podcast directory and write us a review, give us five stars or one star, just give us feedback so we learn and the reviews really help us to promote the podcast. Really appreciate this. Also, if you have a friend who could benefit from this, Please share this episode with him or introduce him to Jill's and just Jill's website if they need career counseling. I'll see you on the next show. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.